Hello and welcome to Man Enough. I am Justin Baldoni. I'm Jamie Heath. And uh, and thanks for tuning in. Every week on Man Enough, we go on a deep dive and we learn some truths. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, we learn in real time. So uh, we are grateful that you are on this journey with us. Today, who we got? We have uh, an incredible poet and author and speaker and activist humanitarian they go by they them pronouns and their name is alok and boy did uh did we go to school today this was uh this was something you talk about learning in real time go into it thinking about humanity mm-hmm. go into it about thinking um about really what you want this world to look like and that every person deserves to be loved mm-hmm. and to live so with that if you like these conversations and you like learning and growing with us, please like and follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. So here we go. This is a wonderful conversation with Alok, Liz Plank, myself, and Jamie Heath. This is Man Enough. Hello, and welcome back to Man Enough. Mm-hmm. I'm Justin Baldoni here with the amazingly talented author Liz Plank and Jamie Heath, one of my best friends in the world, and such a special, cool human being. Alok is with us today. Hi, everyone. Yes, Alok. Thank you so much for being with us today. A little bit about you. You are an Indian American writer and performance artist. You are gender non-conforming and trans-feminine and have really used your life experience to advocate for all people and for a number of causes. You famously have called for the de-gendering of the fashion and beauty industries. Uh, you grew up in Texas to Indian and Malaysian immigrant parents and graduated from Stanford University. No big deal. No big deal. No That's big easy, big deal. right? <laughs> Never heard of it. Never heard of it. And you are just a, a such a sought-out uh, public speaker. You've spoken in so many different countries around the world. And we are lucky to have you here with yeah. us today. Uh, as uh, Justin mentioned, you wrote a book called Beyond the Gender Binary, uh, which we encourage all our listeners to go and Absolutely. buy. Femme in public, femme in public, uh, right? Uh, which I'm saying with my French Canadian accent. We really cannot wait to speak to you. Thank you so much for being with us on Man Enough. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so sweet. So first thing first. Can you tell us the last time you didn't feel enough? Hmm. I think I have a daily relationship with a sense of inadequacy. Mm. I've written about this in the past, but when you are a non-binary person in this country in this time, there's an imposter syndrome for being alive because people don't think that we should exist. Mm. And so every day I have to remind myself they're wrong because I'm breathing. They're wrong because I'm speaking. And so I have to remind myself, not only am I enough, but the very system that has and weaponizes a criteria that would rather disappear me, that's not a system that I'll ever let evaluate me again. Okay, we can just wrap it right there. <laughs> I feel like I should snap. I don't know what to do after that. Except I feel like that was also poetry. This is going to happen the whole time. I know by that. The way. <laughs> I'm preparing myself emotionally for it. Guilty as charged. Okay, so beautifully articulated. W- thank you for that. What what I wanted to ask personally is, so part of what we're doing here is I have been brushing up against my own discomfort with masculinity for my whole life, and I really didn't name it until I would say recently in the last decade. So I wrote this book, I'm going through doing this podcast to have these conversations and to like address this invisible force that governs our very existence. And for me, whenever like something uncomfortable pops up, I want to, I want to name it and talk about it because if I don't talk about it, then I know that thousands or millions of other people are not talking about it. And I know we all Mm. feel it. So I found myself getting nervous that I was going to say he instead of they. Which you did. Which I did. And then I corrected. And then earlier I heard Liz do it. And, And what's funny is. First of all, I put I put Liz for everybody for you for everybody on a pedestal, uh, which I don't deserve to she, be. On. She's next level, and she educates me and and has been so kind and generous. And I noticed I went like, 
oh, okay, I feel better that I'm not the only one. And and I read, and I read your book, and I understand gender pronouns, and yet I still find myself sometimes feeling nervous because I don't mm. want to mess up or or hurt you or say the wrong thing or feel like I'm I'm taking away from your identity by calling you a he. Um, and so I'm just wondering, do you feel people be nervous that they're going to say it wrong? This is a, a 101 class for listeners because mm. I just... Because I noticed I felt nervous and I didn't want to make you feel bad. Mm. And so I apologize uh, if I did. I tried to correct it right away. But for anybody who's listening who maybe has never been around a gender nonconforming person, because there's way too many uh, people that haven't, um, what, I'm just curious. So that's kind of where I wanted to start. <laughs> sure. I guess I would say welcome to the awkward choreography of being a human. Yeah. We're always going to mess up mm. because we are indoctrinated into a world that teaches us ideology, not compassion. Mm. So it's not you speaking when you misgender me, it's everyone that has spoken to you before. And in my life, what I always try to remind people is I was not born with gender literacy. I was born hating myself and hunting myself. And I had to learn too, so other people are gonna have to learn. And if that way, I think trans people can actually teach the world transition is possible, not just between genders, between but between paradigms. Mm. It's so possible to learn and constantly be learning. And in fact, learning is the most delightful thing about being alive. So what I say is when you mess up, which is when you're alive, because being alive is about messing up gloriously. <laughs> and I will fight for that ability to gloriously mess up because I don't believe that humans are statues or sculptures. I believe that we're inconsistent and idiosyncratic and hairy and fat and unfurling. And that's what's joyous about being alive. What we do then is say, I'm sorry, I'm learning. It won't happen again. And then if it happens again, I'm sorry, I'm going to try even harder. Mm. And that's what love is for me, trying harder for each other. I, <laughs> I'm so what, cry. What, what, what are we going to do? <laughs> I'm a, I want to know how we're going to get through this podcast. That literally because, made me tear up just now. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, because it's just like mic drop every time. <laughs> I, I appreciate how gracious you are with this. I don't want to make a false equivalence. But being black, I've experienced um, trying to find a way to navigate through it all. Um, and some of us who are oppressed... Um, have more capacity to mm. deal with the bullshit mm. than another. Mm. Doesn't make us better. It means that for whatever reason, we're able. Um, and we need people that are able to do that so that those can learn right. who otherwise wouldn't. I'm sorry. I'm taking a long time getting out because I'm also getting emotional because I have, I personally, through my life, who champions people, I don't get it all. Mm. And I'm feeling bad that I don't get it because you're fucking amazing. Mm. Mm. And I'm listening to you speak and I'm like, why do I not fight for them? Why do I have such passion for other things? But this one I have a disconnect with. Um, so what do I need to unlearn? What do I, how can I help other, and I particularly talk about men, help them unlearn. Mm. Mm. Let's get into it. I'm non-binary, which means it's not just that I'm challenging the binary between male, female, man, woman, but between us and them. And in your statement, you said, why don't I help them as if this struggle is not your struggle too? The reason you don't fight for me is because you're not fighting for yourself fully. And any movement that's trying to emancipate men from the shackles of heteropatriarchy or emancipate women from traditional gender ideology has to have trans and non-binary people at the forefront because we are actually the most honest. We're tracing the root. Where do these ideas of manhood and womanhood come from? They come from a binary structure. And so that's why people like me who are visibly gender non-conforming, who are both feminine and masculine and none of the above, we experience the brunt of all of these collective fantasies that were created that are killing other people that are also killing us. It just looks different. Mm. And so one of the things that I try to do in my work is say, don't show up for me because you wanna protect me or you wanna help me. I don't need your help. 
I have an unshakable and irrevocable sense of who I am because I am divine. I come from people who were exterminated and targeted by colonists because the gender binary, and we can get into this, was superimposed on black people, indigenous people, and people of color by European colonists. And the reason that they targeted us is because they knew our power, right? So the reason that there's so much animus against me is because of my power. I don't need to be legitimized or I don't have anything to prove. What I want us to rephrase the conversation is, are you ready to heal? And I don't think the majority of people are ready to heal. And that's why they repress us as trans and gender variant people, because they've done this violence to themselves first. They've repressed their own femininity. They've repressed their own gender nonconformity. They've repressed their own ambivalence. They've repressed their own creativity. And so when they see us have the audacity to live a life without compromise, where we say there are no trade-offs, where we say we actually get to carve in the marrow of this earth and create our own goddamn beauty, instead of saying thank you for teaching me another way to live, they try to disappear us because they did that to themselves first. So. I guess I would rephrase your question to be, can you help me get free? Not, can you help me help you? Mm. One of the things that we don't speak enough about is that we don't know how to see each other for each other. We see each other for what we think one another should be. Mm. So we're constantly, when you say pedestal, I think that's dehumanizing. Mm because we're at a table and that's what it means to be alive, is to look at each other horizontally, not need to put each other on pedestals. And that we inherit that of saying that the only way that people have value is if they're saints. But I actually believe that people have value because they're the opposite of being a saint. And I actually believe that there's a dignity just to being, not to doing. So if we actually believe that people have dignity for being, not doing, there's a kind of mercy and a kind of love that I have for everyone because we've only been conditioned into feeling like we can be loved if we emulate some standards that were created by someone else. So people have not experienced my kind of love before. Because what I'm actually telling men is you don't have to be masculine. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be all knowing. What I'm actually telling men is you're allowed to be vulnerable. You're allowed to be human. And people don't know how to receive that love. And I think that's the paradigm shift I really want to move away from, is that the fear and the danger makes it so that people aren't ready to receive love. People have been taught to fear the very things that have the potential to set them free. This has nothing to do with trans and non-binary people. It's never been about us. It's not about what we look like. It's about what they feel like. Mm. And they don't know how to feel love like we can give. And that's why marginalized communities are persecuted. It's not because of what we look like, what we're saying, our identities, our pronouns, our nomenclatures, our language, our scholarship. It's because of the presence of love that people feel like they can't actually inherit on this earth. And so the reason that there's so much violence that men are siphoning onto us is because they don't love themselves. Mm, yeah. And so they see our self-love right? They see, I have men come up to me in New York City and say, I used to wear my mom's dresses when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, what happened? And they can't even articulate that. And that's where our starting ground is. You don't even have the language to articulate a wound. So you don't even know that you're hurting and that you're bleeding. And what we as trans and gender people said is that there is a wound here mm. and I'm going to commit my life to actually realigning my spiritual core such that I never have to compromise myself for other people's love. And I'm going to prioritize and choose me in a world that makes me have to contour myself into someone else's fiction. And, and so what I tell men is this is not about accepting trans and gender nonconforming people. This is about accepting yourself. yourself. And if you do that work first, everything I'm gonna say is makes sense. But if you don't do that work, everything that I say is gonna be inherited as an attack from a zero sum ideology that makes you think that if other people thrive, you must somehow lose something. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening with misogyny in this country right now. I really try to bring history into the conversation because one of the things that is really important to name is people like me are honestly delegitimized and discredited by every institution of media in this country. 
because this kind of knowledge, they'd rather put us on a drag show and laugh at us than actually listen to us, right? We're more acceptable when we're entertaining you and not when we're educating you. So I actually want to remind people that I'm a scholar and I have certifications in everything that I study. So in the early 20th century, when women were making the claim for the right to vote, what did men do? They created postcards that actually had women dressed up as men and men dressed up as women. And they said, if women get the right to vote, we're going to be feminized and we're going to lose power. And it's going to be women who are making us do what we've done to women, take care of the kids and stay at home. Women were basically just saying, we want the right to vote. And men heard that as I'm losing power. And then here we are a hundred years later, trans and gender non-conforming people are saying, hey everyone, I wanna be able to exist. I wanna be able to walk outside without being spat on. I wanna be able to live and not fear dying. I wanna be able to wear what I'm wearing and not be called brave. I wanna be able to actually have people regard my humanity, not some one-dimensional trope that they're getting from these racist and transphobic algorithms. And people are saying, that's a threat. <laughs> Darling, the threat is a system that has made you mistake your latent disassociation as a personality. That's the threat. Mm. I mean. <laughs> Are we running a cult? Cause like I will do whatever you want. Um, we'll go ahead. Also, I, I just want to say thank you for pointing that out to me. And I, I am so sorry if that was dehumanizing in any way to you. I would never, yeah. Thank you for making me aware of that. Of course. You are listening to the Man Enough Podcast. We will be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Man Enough Podcast. I want to go to a, there's something in your book you said. You were talking about clothing and just how backwards all of this is. And you had mentioned that men actually invented high heels. Mm -hmm. And I see you wearing, I don't know if those are platforms, but I was very curious, uh, how that happened but then also like if you know how it changed yeah it's such a fun story so heels actually emerged in the 10th century in persia and heels are invented because of stirrups like riding a horse uh -huh. the heel makes sense to actually be in the stirrup to get a more secure footing and then heels enter europe in the 17th century with male aristocracy so in the 17th 18th century in france red heels are the sign of like extreme masculinity and like bourgeois masculinity. And in fact, women get mocked for wearing heels in the 17th mm. century because it's associated with male aristocracy. So women began to actually wear articles of clothing that are associated with men and are getting ridiculed. Sounds about right when we think about yeah. history. And what happens is in the late 18th and early 19th century, clothing becomes to be extremely gendered in this binary way. So things that we now associate with femininity, like makeup, jewelry, adornment, wigs, leggings, heels, that only becomes gendered as feminine in the late 18th and early 19th century as part of a political project of making up the gender binary. So I'd like to explain that for people. Here's the truth. Men and women actually... 99.9% .9 of our genes are the same, everyone. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> and actually, the predominant idea in Europe prior to the Enlightenment was that there was one sex. And this binary sex model actually only emerges in the late 18th and 19th century. How do you prove a new formulation? Fashion becomes politicized. Fashion becomes how you prove that there's an inherent distinction. Why did they feel the need to say that there's inherent distinction between men and women? After the French Revolution, you have this idea of inalienable rights. So you have French women saying, hey, so if you're saying inalienable rights, like that means women get rights, right? And then men say, about that. Um, actually, no. <laughs> about that. You are biologically different and inferior, so you have to stay at home. So how do you justify patriarchy? You say naturally males and females are different and females natural orientation is to only be mothers at home and males natural orientation is to be leaders in the political sphere. And so fashion becomes politicized where women get beaten for trying to wear pants. So if you read early feminist writing in the 19th century, the dress reform society, the rational dress society, the dress reform movement, they're saying we want the right to wear pants. And that's not just about an article of clothing. It's about being able to exist in public because at this time, public women were sex workers. 
people couldn't imagine women existing in the public without men, right? So when I'm talking about degender fashion, people are like, this new millennial internet fad. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, the real fad is gendering fashion to begin with. All the podcasts we've done, you know when the true sign of learning is when you just, you, you, wow. it takes you a minute to process. Like, okay, wait, I gotta, I gotta take that in. That was deep. I'm, I'm wondering for those that are not sure how they morally feel about the whole, this, this discussion, mm -hmm. religiously feel about this discussion, that are good people, that are either misinformed, shallow, whatever we may call them. But I still need them to see and treat the world fair and, and not be ridiculed. Mm. So what I hear you say, I hear like stages, me and Liz talk about this stuff about, you know, we're not going to get from here to here overnight. Mm. So there's got to be something, which I think you graciously do. Um, I guess where I'm leaning is for those of us who are, you know, it's, it's just a lot to take in. Mm -hmm. um, it shouldn't be, but it is. Is it, there's got to be a way that we are changing things so that you're not living in fear. Mm -hmm. I don't want to live in fear. I don't want you to live in fear, regardless if I support or not. And I don't mean me personally. I say right. I for on behalf of many. Um, you know, so how do you think we get through this? Because I have to know as a black person, I know I don't care if you see me as equal or not. I'm done with that. Right. But I deserve the same rights that you have. Right. 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 So there's two discussions there. I really resonate with what you're saying because the focus has been on comprehension, not compassion. Mm. So people will say, I don't understand. Why do you need to understand me in order to say that I, sh I shouldn't be experiencing violence? Mm. Like right. that, that equation we need to really interrogate. Like what lack of empathy is there in that statement to be like, I just don't get it. What I don't get it becomes a shield for saying, I'm okay with you being exposed to violence. Wow. Mm -hmm. So we need to name that bluff out loud. It's never been about comprehension. It's been about compassion. Because here's the thing. You suddenly have the time to learn the things that you prioritize. But when it comes to gender nonconforming people, it's, I don't really have the time. That takes too much time. You don't have the compassion. Let's be honest about it. It's like when people get upset, they say there's so many new words that are being created around gender and sexuality. Why weren't you taking a more public stance on the Oxford comma? You didn't care about grammar then. You only care grammar when it comes about they, them pronouns. That's actually your shield that you're not actually naming. I'm uncomfortable with seeding ground. That's what this is about. I'm uncomfortable because I feel like I have a monopoly in culture. And if anyone else who looks different me or thinks different than me belongs, then it's at zero sum thinking. That means I must go. Mm. But what I want to offer the world is that there's enough space for all of us. You're operating in a fishbowl, but this is a world yeah. and this is a universe. And in fact, in my universe, when you step into your power, that just encourages me to step in mine. Mm. And that's not a conflict. So the ways that trans rights gets positioned is if it's seen as an antagonistic force against tradition, against culture, that mentality break out of it. it actually trans rights accelerate freedom for all mm -hmm. people. That's right. And trans rights mm. fundamentally actually are gonna help men. <laughs> Because men are going to actually be able to develop their own understandings of what manhood means to them. Mm. How uh, do, does the, the trans and gender mm. nonconforming movement uh, help men sure. specifically? Yeah. You know, a lot of non-binary people get a bad rep because people think that we're just the killjoys coming in being like, you're not allowed to be a man or a woman. Or like, if you're a man or a woman, then you're complicit in my oppression. That's <laughs> not true. What we're saying is that man and woman are two of potentially infinite. And mm -hmm. that man and woman are like two stars in the sky. And that they don't actually require diminishing one another's shine. Man doesn't have to be not woman. Woman doesn't have to be not man. Masculine doesn't have to mean not feminine. Feminine doesn't have to mean not masculine. And so we're saying that there's potentially as many ways to be a man as there are men. 
there's as many ways to be a woman as yes. there are women. And you get to tell me what man and woman means to you. So actually moving beyond the gender binary is not about erasing your ability to be a man or woman. It's about asking you, who are you? And that's what's gonna help men is because we've created such a rigid and stringent straitjacket of what it means to be a man that is so malnourished, ahistorical, toxic and dangerous for all parties involved. And what I'm actually trying to say is you don't have to be that. You get to be your own man. And that manhood doesn't invalidate anyone else's manhood. Just tell me, it's a conversation, it's a story, it's humanity. Mm -hmm. That's where category culture kills us. We only know each other through these simple words that we're all saying, but we don't even know what they mean anymore. And I want us to actually be honest. Many of us don't know who we are outside of what we've been told we should be. Trans people, we know who we are. And that's <laughs> where we're being hunted because we literally chose authenticity in the face of adversity. Mm. What rational decision in my life. Hey, everyone, I'm going to walk outside with a beard and a dress today. <laughs> and people think that we just like, we're, we're up to like some malicious intent, darling. <laughs> I have to deal with people throwing trash at mm -hmm. me, right? Mm -hmm. For existing in public. Yeah. I have to deal with extreme scrutiny of my mm -hmm. life everywhere I go. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I know the power of authenticity. Mm -hmm. And that's what trans people teach men, cis men, is there's nothing more powerful than stepping into your truth. And that's what the healing is gonna take in this world is if we stop living someone else's fantasy of who we should be and we actually get intimate with who we, who we actually are. So much, so, much of, so much of what you say, and I told you this before in, in the way that you wrote your book and even the language that you use resonates with me as a straight white cis male hmm. um and that's why i was so interesting you know even like coming up against my own biases because it's like you know how could your experience and mine be so similar hmm. and yet strangely they are because it's the same system mm -hmm. it's the same system of oppression that makes us feel that way and that's why i like reading your book if anything like i just it just shows and, I, and what you're saying is so valuable and so important because it's true like what your your freedom your ability to to believe that you are enough your ability to walk around the street in your own authenticity sets me free because mm. i'm struggling with my own version of that just because you don't see me wearing a dress i still feel walking out into the world my own version of what it is that you're feeling mm. and i think that that's what so many and again people but this is really you know i wrote my book directed to men Mm-hmm. Wanting everyone to feel enough and free at the end of the day, because that that was when I was digging into my version of this work, that's all I could come up with was I want to undefine masculinity to make room for anybody who sees themselves. Beautiful. That's it. Yeah. That's the purpose of my book, because I feel like it's all of the shoulds and those things that have caused me pain and suffering. Mm. But the way you are putting it and like the idea of like comprehension versus compassion, it just was like, poof, that's it. I shouldn't have to understand you to love you and to want your safety. That's it. Regardless, like you could be a, you could be a, uh, a right wing person or a left wing person on the extreme side. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you believe so long as that you want this person to be loved and safe and be free existing in the world in their beauty and majesty and glory and not have to worry about their like safety. Just like I want the same thing for you as a black man. I don't want you to have to get like worried about getting shot in the back when you get pulled over for a taillight. I don't want that for you. But yet that's the problem. We feel like we have to understand it in order to love it. But that's so fucking backwards. So I just want to say thank you so much for risking all that you're risking for yourself and all of us for vulnerability's sake. Because I as I, I am grateful and I feel, it's so strange. I feel what you're saying. In some ways, I feel freer sitting with you. I feel freer sitting with you. It's you not- You better speak. <laughs> you better talk your truth. <laughs> it's not just one direction. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what I fundamentally believe yeah. is that when we channel our purpose on this earth, 
that creates the lighthouse that everyone has been searching for. For me, it's not about, I want everyone to identify as non-binary. No, you can end up wherever. I just want you to be honest with me about your journey. And that honesty makes me wanna live because we have to play pretend in this world all the time. Hey everyone, I love my nine to five job. Like, hey everyone, I'm doing great, I'm amazing, I'm awesome. And that's why I bring it back to mental health every time I have this conversation. That amount of pressure of trying to play pretend that you know everything, that you're like a magically PC. It's exhausting. (laughs) And the moments where you get to just like take off your shoes and build home with each other and just be like, hey everyone, we're vibing and we're figuring it out. Like that makes me wanna live. And that's what I feel I want so badly going forward is trans people have been so severely pigeonholed by Western culture. We are sensationalized and spectacularized as a freak show for other people to work through their own self-hatred through. And what that is actually not just to harming and oppressing us, it is harming and oppressing you because it restricts options in your own life. And what I want you to understand is that we live impossible lives. So I'm not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to have the consciousness that you have now. You're not supposed to have written the book that you're supposed to write. You're not supposed to be able to reach the people that you are reaching, but you did. And so what that for me suggests is that it's not that impossible things aren't gonna happen. It's that when we get the right people in the right room, we can make them happen. And then in fact, the coalition that needs to happen to end misogyny is the coalition of all genders. And that's what's been wrong about so much of the theorizing about gender in the past is people think that you can just sort of like have one camp and undo the gender system. When in fact, what I'm trying to say is all of us are harmed by this gender system. That harm looks different. Mm -hmm. And we can speak about those differences. But at the end of the day, overhauling this gender binary system isn't just going to help me. It's going to help everyone. Mm-hmm. And can we touch on that? Because, you know, this coalition, some of the, the and, and, and you speak about this, some of the, the, the people who have been the most hateful and discriminating against you have been from women who mm-hmm. call themselves feminists, right? That this movement um, believes that in order to understand sexism, you have to, to, to experience your life as a woman. So how do you feel like your life and, and your, this dialogue that you're having threatens women too? Mm-hmm. You know, I return it back to trauma always is that people feel scarcity. They feel like if, if we're holding someone else's narrative, then my narrative is not gonna be heard. And they feel like unless it's their particular experience that's absolutely being named, then they're being erased. Mm. But there's a difference between entitlement and erasure. Entitlement Oof. is being able to say, my narrative is the only narrative. And what I'm actually trying to say is your narrative is valid, but so is mine. Mm -hmm. And it is possible for all of these things to be true. Multiplicity of truth is healing. Mm. That patriarchy takes many nasty manifestations Mm. and it doesn't discredit or delegitimize what it looks like in a particular experience to name the whole swath of those experiences. Mm. And then people will say, well, right now we're focusing on one issue, we'll get to the other. Where has that gotten us historically, this incremental pathway, right? And who's we, who decides that? Mm. Exactly. And so what I'm actually trying to say is I wanna create a world where everyone gets to choose their own gender where everyone gets to look like whatever they want to look like without fearing violence. How is that derailing? (laughs) That's literally saying, hey, everyone, I want freedom. And people say, no, 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 no. But I really want to return it back to trauma because this is not a rational thing, right? Right. Like a lot of people try to have this conversation, trying to make it about logic. It's never been about logic. It's been about trauma. And that's why I think that I, I always bring up the fact that I'm a poet is because I'm concerned with a human condition. And humans, the reason I love them is because we're irrational, not because we are making decisions about things that are gonna help us in the future, we're (laughs) self-sabotaging. And that's what I love about being humans is that we mess up like we began with and we're idiosyncratic and we're ridiculous and we make decisions that are just so silly. Mm. And one of the things that's so tragic about humanity is that we keep on mistaking the prison as another home We keep on saying this is freedom and it's just another leash. And what we don't recognize is that true freedom is gonna be uncomfortable. 
because when we're so conditioned into this perpetual status of our unfreedom, that calcifies. And so people think that what is natural and what is reality is actually a prison. And what I'm actually trying to say is the only gender rule is that there are no rules. And that actually man and woman only mean what you need them to mean for you. And people hear that as a threat and not an invitation because of trauma, because they're afraid of possibility, because they've been taught that the only way that they can get love and receive love and be is by being someone else's fantasy of who they should be. But in my world that I'm creating, and in fact, in the world that we have right now at this table, what I'm going to say is love means I will never understand you, but I'm going to keep on coming back. Love means I will listen to you tell the same story over and over again because the way that you tell it is different. Love means I love you because you're different. Love means I love you even if I don't understand you, I'm going to keep on trying and we're going to struggle together to make it work. Mm. And that's why the antidote to trauma is compassion. A lot of people will project trans people as these hyper-political correct people entering the chat, policing people's discourse. You want to talk about police? Let's talk about how from 1840s until 1970s and later in this country, it was a criminal offense for me to exist in public from cross-dressing legislation that threw people like me in prison and you have the audacity to say that we're new. It's not that we're new. It's that you've naturalized our disappearance. And now we're in these public spaces that we weren't allowed to be in for decades. And we're actually showing you what love looks like in public and people aren't ready re to receive it. So what I say to these feminists who are not feminists right. well, mm -hmm. is are you fighting for freedom or are you fighting for privilege? Because privilege is the ability to monopolize. Mm -hmm. Privilege is the ability to do what was done to you to other people. That the way that we heal pain is not by transmitting it, it's by transforming it. And so what I'm saying is your pain is valid, but your use of that pain, your weaponization of that pain to harm other people, that's not valid. Let's interrupt the cycle of trauma. Mm. And to interrupt the cycle of trauma, we have to actually say that hurt people hurt people. And we're constantly trying to do what has been done to us, to other people. That is what it means to be trans, is to inherit the byproduct of sexism that cis women experience from cis men. They take it out on us. It's a game of an elaborate strategy of hot potato. Yeah. And I say, what's to say that there are no potatoes and let's get a table and just start over? You know, mm. I, I'm not interested in having conversations around who is the most oppressed. I'm not interested in ranking oppression. I'm not interested in those metrics of trying to say your experience is not as great as mine. What I'm interested in saying is when you understand trauma, not being seen feels like a deepest pain that there ever was. Mm. And so what I'm trying to say is that all pain is valid. And the way that we transform through that pain is actually being kind generous and interdependent mm, and connecting through that pain which you talk about so much it's it's again you're just i'm so grateful that you're here um it, yeah it, it's something that i wasn't aware of first of all um so i can imagine i can imagine that pain of like going through everything that you've already gone through just fighting to be yourself and to be seen to be loved for who you are and your choices and how you want to live your life. And then also then having women attack you for that. That's, that's a lot. I, 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 um, I have to believe that, and, and this might not be the right thing to say, but there are certain people in my life who I've met who at the intersection of oppression seem to have this superhuman ability to see the world in a way that I just, I never could because I haven't had it. Mm -hmm. And, I'm very blessed that I have that with Jamie. He's one of my best friends. He sees because of his oppression, because of the pain he's been through things that I am not able to see. Mm. I wish I could see them, but it would require me being in his body. And sitting here next to you, I feel like you have a superpower that you shouldn't have to have. You shouldn't have to have gone through everything that you've gone through. You shouldn't have had to attempt to take your life at such a young age because of what you've been through. And I'm really sorry. I'm just really sorry. And I want you to know that I will, um, that this conversation will stay with me. And I appreciate, I just appreciate you showing up the way that you have because I think that you are going to touch and affect a lot of listeners, a lot of people like me that are at the intersection of all of the privilege, all of it, who haven't had to 
form this superhuman ability to see things in this way and still practice such radical love, which you're doing. It's like a radical act. And you said something earlier um, that you want to be able to live in a world where it's you're not considered brave for going outside. Mm -hmm. Something of that nature. Amen to that. Um, and yet, in the time that we live now, it is brave to go outside when yeah. you know that you're going to receive all of that. I'm going to get to that, but I first wanted to say thank you for witnessing my pain. Yes. Because behind that statement around bravery is there's the presumption of my perpetual resilience. Like what I need people listening to understand is I've been hunted since I can remember. I can imagine. And this is where the conversation about man enough is really important to me because I was slotted into the category boy. And so my first forms of intimidation and harassment were in male segregated spaces where it was other boys telling me that I was not a boy enough and that I was a girl and that I was a pussy and that I was a faggot. Mm -hmm. And the biggest irony of trans feminine life is that when I have the decency to claim those things for myself, then they say, shut up, you're a man. So <laughs> they move. Yeah. The boundaries specifically to make me the problem, not to make their prejudice the problem, right? And so I grew up being, felt, being told that I was fundamentally unlovable mm. and that the only way I could have worth was being exceptional. So I'm exceptionally smart. Mm. I didn't just go to Stanford. I graduated top of my class at Stanford, right? I am exceptionally well-read. I know everything but that's a trauma response. Yeah. It's an elaborate form of begging. Yeah. It's about saying, God damn it, see my humanity. How smart do I have to be in order for you to see my humanity? How much do I have to know? And, and then to know it's never gonna be enough because mm. of what I look like. Because the reality of this friendship is that you could regurgitate less articulately what I just said in this podcast and people will call you exemplary, revolutionary, groundbreaking for doing what I have been doing since I was born on this earth. Yes. And that is so painful. Mm. And the only way that I know how to proceed in a world that has marked me for that perpetual pain is mercy. Mm. Mercy for myself, mercy for you to actually say, I need help. And I just wanna tell everyone listening, I need help, I can't do this alone. I shouldn't have to do this alone. I shouldn't have to be the one that's telling people the gender binary is killing you. I need all of us, regardless of our genders, to say the gender binary is killing us. I need all of us to say there's, an there's a coordinated, unprecedented attack on trans rights right now. And this is not just an attack on trans people, it's an attack on all of us. Because what they're trying to do is legislatively and judicially define sex and define gender in a way that's gonna harm all of us. Because what they're trying to do is say that gender and sex are fixed. What I want everyone in this room to understand is nothing in this world is fixed. Everything is constantly moving and that's the vibrancy and the joy of being alive. Can you talk about these laws just more specifically for sure. people who may not know? Yes, so what this looks like is at the state and local level over the past decade, there's been hundreds of pieces of anti-trans legislation that essentially are trying to define gender as your biological sex. What this looks like in Indiana is they're trying to say that you can only use restrooms consistent with your chromosomes. I don't think anyone at this table has gotten a chromosome test, but apparently in Indiana, they think you need to prove your chromosomes to enter the restroom. So what I want to really dispel for the listeners here is that this emphasis on biology is a smokescreen. And I want to bring this into a struggle that you've been alluding to. This is eugenics. Because what eugenics does is it uses the rhetoric of science to justify political and social choices of inequality. What they used to do with eugenics in this country is justify racial segregation by saying, mm, mm -hmm. biologically, black people and people of color are what they would call mentally deficient, so they need separate schools. They use the rhetoric of science to justify the criminalization of interracial intimacy. They would say, we need to maintain the blood pool, so it's actually biological. They used it when we're talking about the rise of Asian American hate crimes. The Chinese Exclusion Act in the early 1900s said that Chinese American people were feeble-minded and had to be protected. What did they use? They resourced science to justify discrimination. Sexism is not science. 
homophobia and transphobia are not science. In fact, science says that gender and sex are human constructions, are ways of aggregating the messy distribution of being a body into socially ordained categories as a way to make political claims. So what this legislation is actually doing is telling all of you, we get to determine who you are, you don't get to determine who you are. And that's why it affects all of us. Mm. Right now, the conversation is trans people, woeful minority being attacked. I'm trying to reframe that to be like, all of us mm. should be able to determine who we are, not having someone else say, this is what you are. They don't know you. The only way that you know someone's gender is by talking to them. To say, I know your gender because of your body is so basic and incorrect. Even the sex binary, the idea that there's just male, female, that's not true. Actually, intersex people exist and have always existed. There have always been people who exist outside of... It's like the, 1%, isn't it? 1% right? of all babies. What the history of eugenics has made us do is to medicalize difference as a problem. Mm. And this is why I really want to make this a racial justice issue. Because so often people talk about trans issues as if it's like unprecedented. The exact same tactics that they're doing to trans people, they did against black people, indigenous people, and people of color in this country in the early 20th century. And they would literally do the exact same stuff about anatomy. They always made it about anatomy. They would measure the size of people's skulls. They would measure the length of their nose. They would say, because you have these features, this means you lead to this behavior. And this was especially the case around black and indigenous people. And so what's dangerous to me is that we're not learning from that history. We're using the exact same tactics, the exact same pseudoscience, the exact same sheen of scientific respectability to sanction what is just discrimination. And actually, what I really want to interject into this conversation is that kind of intimate betrayal of, well, they're not coming for me right now, so I'm going to keep quiet. When you see the same strategies that have been levied against marginalized people forever, then hit you, and then the people who have been marginalized by those things, like, we'll speak to this around feminism. Yeah. Men used the rhetoric of biology to oppress women for hundreds of years. In fact, men denied women access to education because they would say that it would disrupt your vital nerve energies to learn that had to be solely devoted to reproduction. So they would later say, if you go to school, you won't be able to be a mother. They use the exact same rhetoric of biology. And then rather than actually challenging that rhetoric, what do we see now? We see cisgender women using that same rhetoric of biology to license discrimination against us. And that's why for me, it's not a rational thing. It's a trauma thing. What people are fighting for is the right to oppress other people. They're not fighting for freedom. Mm. And I'm tired of it. And we need to call a spade a spade. You don't want freedom. You want monopoly. You don't want freedom. You want power. And what freedom actually feels like is the relinquishing of power is spiritual. And you can speak to this better than I can because I wasn't given power in society. And that's the, that's the wage. That is the collateral that men are told. Keep quiet. Don't sensitize yourself to anything. Shut up. Don't have any personality beyond what's being marketed to you. Don't display any vulnerability and you're going to get power. But that kind of power is loneliness. So when you were saying to me that I have the superpower, what I want to tell you that superpower is community. White cis straight men don't have community. No. <laughs> they have hyper isolation and they have hyper disassociation that they mistake as personality. And so actually... <laughs> What you've done is in relinquishing that false project of power, you're allowed to be vulnerable and vulnerability is the basis of community. And so you're allowed to actually say, I need help. And under patriarchal gender binary, men aren't allowed to need help. Men have to be all knowing, all self-serving. You're allowed to say, I'm dumb, I'm stupid, I'm ignorant. And that is where beautiful relationships are created. They're not created from being all-knowing, perfect sculptures, Adonises. They're created from being like, hey, I don't know. Can you help me? And there's many things I don't know. Can you help me? And that's how we build interdependent community. Mm -hmm. So maybe the superpower is just interdependence. Mm -hmm. What do you think would have happened? First of all, brilliant. Thank you. What if your parents or, or society, your friends, when you showed other qualities that were oftentimes not seen or not acceptable in boys, if those were championed, 
rather than ridiculed. Mm-hmm. If you felt celebrated, would you, do you think that you would have then, it would have led you to where you are now? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, it's like grabbing a handful of water from a moving river <laughs> and making an assessment. Well, what I mean then, I, then I should say, do you, do you see that when boys right now, cause right. I'm trying to raise my kids boys so that when yeah. they have these qualities, they're not told. But can I, can I say you're trying to raise your kids, period. Mm-hmm. The danger becomes when we're determining who our kids should be for them. So what I actually tell all parents is I'm not saying you must raise your child gender neutral. No, but what I'm saying is you must raise your child honest, which means checking in, being like, hey, are you comfortable wearing this? Are you comfortable with this name? Yeah, exactly. What do you want to do? And that your child, your child is co-authoring that with you. And that's what I wasn't given. Mm-hmm. My parents were awesome. In the scheme of things, they were great, but they never asked me who I was. They assumed constantly. And so if my parents had actually, my mom tells me the story now and I'm like, didn't you see? My dad is from Malaysia, so he grew up with British literature. And so I found the word queer through British children's literature. Mm. So before I knew queer had any connotation with gender and sexuality, I knew queer through British children's literature. It's just people who are different. When I was seven years old, my mom tucked me into bed and I said, mom, I'm queer. Mm. And instead of my mom being like, oh, that's awesome. Cool. Tell me more. What does that mean to you? She didn't have that conversation with me because she took as a given that I was a boy. So the way that I'm actually trying to have this conversation is we don't know who other people are. They show us who they are. And then I think the second piece I really want to say is this is where I think being a person of color is really important to have in this conversation. What's really important to understand is that there have been societies across the world that still do and have for thousands of years recognized people who are not men or women. And that's especially the case where I'm from in South Asia, where we have a long cultural, spiritual tradition of recognizing people who are neither men nor women. So when you're asking me if I had lived in a world without this gender policing, that's also a question if I lived in a world without colonization. If I lived in a world where I was brought up with my own people, maybe they wouldn't even have slotted me as boy to begin with. Maybe they would have actually just seen me who I was to begin with as someone outside of this gender system. So... That's why I think it's really important when I'm having this conversation, people will often be like, well, in a world without gender norms, maybe you just be a feminine boy. And I'm like, that's still a Western framework. You only can understand gender nonconformity within the binary because we didn't even get to select the options that you're filtering us in to begin with. So freedom is not to be an expressive man. Freedom is to even be able to say, maybe I'm not a man, right? Because I think people are more comfortable still with saying Alok is a feminine man. Alok is just a gender non-conforming male. But what I'm actually trying to say is, no, no, no. You don't just get to give me permission and license around my gender presentation. This is about license permission around my identity. And in fact, where I'm from, historically and culturally, there are thousands of years history of people like me. And the reason that I am gender non-binary is because I love my people and because I love being brown, and because I love being South Asian, and because I know my history. What I really want us to return this conversation to is this is not about political correctness. This is not about comprehension. This is not about allyship. This is about humanity. This is about divinity. This is about compassion. Are you interested in living in a world that has so thoroughly indoctrinated you into your disappearance that you think that painting your nails disqualifies your manhood? That's not about me, darling. That's about you. The sartorial options limited to men are not going to help us with climate change. Wearing skirts is literally the only path forward, okay? So please, this is like, I'm literally trying to save people from a sinking ship. And they're like, no, I don't want to be saved from the ship, right? So I just want us to move away from this tired and exhausting rhetoric of you transgender minority, oh, with your sensational radical claims to love. And let's actually move to the real thing. What we're fighting for is what is right, what is just, what is beautiful, what is honest, what is. Gender and sexual diversity is. That's not a political statement. That is a factual statement. Human complexity is. And you're able to see that now. People can't see what is when they're living a fantasy of what they've been told that they should be. But you woke up 
And now you can look at yourself and say, what is? What is means, hey, my body might not look like a sculpture, but that's what is. What is, is, hey, I might not be as much of a man, but that's what is. And that is the most beautiful thing in the world to live in the is and the here and now. Amen. Uh, you are uh, just a, a brilliant person. You know, and when brilliant people speak, you know, you want to hear brilliant people mm -hmm. speak. And doesn't matter what part of the world they're from, however they identify. Why would we not want to hear and be a part of brilliance? So uh, I appreciate you very yeah, much. It's, uh, I'm so grateful. I'm just so grateful that this exists and that we're doing this and we're having these conversations because the world today could just could use a lot more compassion mm. without comprehension. Mm. I think that that's, I mean, I feel like that's a bumper sticker in a t-shirt. <laughs> Welcome to this week's Man Enough podcast, Rapid Fire Questions, presented in partnership with P&G, the maker of brands like Tide, Swiffer, Mr. Clean, Pantene, and Braun. When was the last time you cried? Oh my God, this morning. <laughs> It's my skincare routine. <laughs> Your skincare routine? Yeah. Okay. Same. Fresh tears. When was the last time you apologized to someone? Hmm. This morning, I apologized to myself. Hmm. 70 years in the future, hmm. you are a ghost at your own funeral. Hmm. What are you hoping is said about the way you moved through the world? Hmm. Alok tried their best. Period. Mm. And uh, finally, what does it mean? We can actually say, what does it mean to be man enough or enough? Mm. It means to be valued for what is, not what should be. It means to be present on this earth, to laugh and hear your own laughter, to cry and feel your own tears, to smile and feel the own musculature of your own face. It means a profound and sacred intimacy and poetry and interconnectivity of no longer feeling like you have to formulate your body into some pre-existent template or algorithm or equation, but just being valued for the irrevocable fact of your beautiful existence. Thank you to our partners at P&G, the makers of brands like Tide, Swiffer, Mr. Clean, Pantene, and Braun, for helping to make the Man Enough podcast possible and for sponsoring these fun and real moments with our guests. <laughs> just... Well. All right. You are enough. Thank, thank you. you for, thank you so much for coming here. Thanks for having me. So appreciate it. Uh, we will be, <laughs> Jamie's taking off his headphones. <laughs> uh, we will be right back with a recap. Thank you so much for listening to Man Enough. Hello and welcome back to Man Enough. I'm Justin Baldoni here with the wonderful Liz Plank and Jamie Heath. And we just had a powerful conversation with Alok. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you're still with us, Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you for listening to their words and their pain and their struggle and their wisdom. It was, um, I mean, there was, we were silent a lot after they talked because I mean, every was, time they spoke, every time it was like a mic drop, mic drop every time. And all of us were like, Whoa. Uh, and even, you know, I think that, um, for myself, you know, this has been a learning um, process. Yeah. For, for uh, not just for myself, for many. No, but, I mean, for but also just because too. of like how, what it challenges us and like, you know, what you've learned and what you've been taught and just all of this. And they were so gracious with uh, allowing us to ask questions um, and, and gracious with answering them in a way that we could hear them. And also, what I really got was them pleading for their life. Yeah. And I um, was moved by that for sure. Yeah, so often in these conversations, you know, Alok pointed out, we think this is like a new thing, right? The gender non-binary people are, are new and it's a weird, I think <laughs> they use the term like millennial, right? Mm -hmm. 
and and it's it's not right it's not first of all gender non-binary people have been there since the start and there's been a genocide against them since the start uh and they have been at the forefront of feminism they have been at the forefront of movements for gender equality so many people ask me i'm sure they'll ask you and you're on your book tour you know why don't more men talk about this um or why don't more people talk about masculinity and I point to people like Alok. I point to people like Thomas uh, Page McBee, who mm. is an incredible <clears throat> author who writes about his transition. And he gets erased. And we've even had conversations where he says, you know, people will listen to you more than they listen to me. Yeah. And I thought Alok's point about are you fighting for privilege or are you fighting for freedom, right, which echoes Audre Lorde's famous quote, you know, that we can't dismantle um, the master's house with the master's tools, right? Yeah. That we can't reproduce patriarchy in conversations around masculinity. We cannot, re and, 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 and the goal for particularly, you know, as a, as a white woman, white, white women love <laughs> to be foot soldiers of the patriarchy, just to get a little taste, yeah, that was a little really, benefit. That was, a, that was really interesting. First of all, I mean, again, learning so much in real time here. Uh, which is uncomfortable at times, but I didn't. I I didn't know about the feminists attacking. That was a very interesting thing to hear, mm. especially the way they put it. And it's not feminism, right? And 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 Alok no. pointed that out, and I think it's important to say that 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 that's not my feminism. That and and it's just not feminism to to be trans exclusive or to be exclusive, you know, to to yeah. anyone. And I think again the same thing with masculinity. If there are people who are men who are fighting for masculinity and for their liberation, it needs to be tied to the liberation of everybody else, or mm -hmm. else it's not, mm. you know, it's not true yeah. to the movement, and it's actually like co-opting it yeah. for personal gain. So or it's privilege. It's, yeah. yeah, it's one of the reasons why we talked about undefining it, because all redefining it would be is drawing a new line that would exclude people, and that's the last thing we want to do. I also, mm. you know, it was another another thing that hit me um, was when they talked about how he can, sorry, when they can say, mm. uh, when they can say something, not be heard, and then someone like myself with, you know, uh, straight white privilege and a platform could regurgitate a version of it and get all this accolade and praise. And, um, and at mm. the end of the day, they don't need praise. They just want to have their life valued mm -hmm. as much as anybody else and have freedom. And that really, that really struck me. Mm. That really struck me. And I, and I appreciate too, like you had just said something that he said, and then you corrected yourself and said they. And I think for us to pretend that we have it perfect because before we spoke to them, uh, I was so worried that I was gonna say the wrong thing or write thing oh, yeah. or wrong thing. What I think was pointed out was that when we make effort, we recognize um, what it means to them rather than my own attachment to words and all of this other stuff, which is just another form of oppression and all this stuff, rather than seeing the truth. Um, how I appreciated that. And I appreciate you just like, rather than saying, oh, I used the wrong phrase, so let's cut it out and make me look better. The idea is that we will stumble because they oh, kept yeah, talking there's, about There's that. no making me look better on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but they really, really spoke to that. And the other point that I loved that they did, which ties something that Liz has been saying was, Ultimately, you have talked about the liberation of women isn't just beneficial to women, but it's beneficial to men as well. Yeah. And they spoke of the same thing, yep. that, that the protection and liberation and the, 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 the full empowerment of their experience is only also if we could see that it helps us also. It's not uh, it's one or the other. All of our freedoms are inextricably tied together. Mm. And the same system oppresses everyone, but unfortunately not in the same way. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, and that's that's the big takeaway. Look, we're going to be thinking about that. I'm going to re-listen to that one. I can't listen to my voice. That's one of my things. But this will be one that I re-listen to. Yeah, <laughs> worth it. <laughs> it'll be it'll be worth it. If you weren't taking notes, or if you just you know, uh, for the first time ever heard somebody like Alok speak, go back and re-listen. Follow them and see the work that they're up to. And um, support their work. And right? yeah, and support them. With and money. Um, and recognize <laughs> that mm. there is, as they said, a genocide happening in front of our eyes. And, and, um, and, and the truth is, at the end, for those listening, I get and understand that there will be some that fully support their experience. And then there will be many who 
have struggles. Yeah, don't get it. But you don't have to get it and have to fully, uh, what did they say? You don't well, that, have to but, understand but was, something to yes, have compassion. That was about. the big thing that they said. And that's the one of the things that hit me the hardest was you don't have to comprehend someone, something to have, to, com- to have compassion for them. That's right. And, and you don't, again, you don't have to agree with a life choice, but you do have to have compassion for, for humanity person and want that person to live a life and thrive and succeed and have love and joy and a, and, and freedom and not have to walk down the street I mean, and worry the, about being spit the, on and exactly. all of what the hell. So, so like, yeah, hell yeah. That was the, thank you for bringing that up. You don't have to have comprehension to have compassion and we're doing it backwards. We, we try to understand so that we can have compassion. No, they're human beings. Have any, like we need to have compassion at the end of the day. That's one of the most important things for me that I took away from this. Mm, sweet. Um, Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so thank you. If you, if you, that is if you like these kinds of conversations and stuff. you, and you enjoy learning with us in real time, uh, please stick with us, like us and follow us wherever you, uh, you listen to your podcasts and, uh, come back and hang out with us some more because we're going deep <laughs> and it gets uncomfortable, but boy, is it worth it. it boy, is. is it worth it. So, uh, I'm Justin Baldoni. I'm Liz Plank. And I'm Jamie Heath. And this is Man Thank you for listening to the Man Enough Podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble, in partnership with Cadence 13 and Odyssey Company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Mahotra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Kerry Rathode from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Annabella Casanova, Mateen McCullough, and Sage Price are our producers. Maria Fernandez and Nicole Pritchard are our consulting producers. Josh Schneider is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.